One of the best parts of playing sports at a young age was snacks. You may not agree with me, but think about it. Remember those days when you would share a snack with your team? Maybe it was during practice, at the end of a game, or at halftime or something. The cool parents would always bring the best stuff, like Capri Suns, Gushers, bags of chips and stuff. Total crap snacks that you really shouldn't be eating right before a game or after a game. I always hated when it was my week, my turn for my parents to bring snacks for everybody because they'd always bring the stuff that nobody wanted. And you felt bad about it. Because who really wants to eat orange slices? Or who really wants to eat brown apples that have been sitting in a bag for a couple hours? Definitely not me. Welcome to Motor City Hardball, presented by Blue Wire Hustle. On today's episode, I'm joined by former Michigan State outfielder, Robbie Jones. So, Robbie, were your parents the type to bring, like, the snacks the gushers of sorts the capri suns or did they bring the snacks that nobody really wanted to eat like the apples and uh, orange slices if you will you know my parents were definitely an apples and orange slices type of family no um, i i actually wanted to be an orthodontist growing up so they, they i never had gushers in the house at all um but yeah pretty much oranges or apples to every game Nothing, uh, nothing too sugary or, or fun to have. Yeah, I, I just remember like there was such a, at least for me because my parents were the same way, so we were always the ones like my parents didn't want to bring like the thirty pack of the Frito Lay varieties because it was just a hassle. And I was like, oh well, we have a bunch of apples in the house and nobody eats. Let's just cut these up, bring them, and only a couple kids will <laughs> grab an apple slice or two. Uh, but Robbie, we, uh, you know, I wish we can sit here and talk about apple slices all day long and Capri Suns and things of that nature. But uh, I want to first talk about for you what it was like when you were playing baseball in high school, because this isn't something that <laughs> I got to deal with. Um, but tell me about like some of the pressure that you experienced and what it was like dealing with um, college coaches and and different scouts, knowing that there are you know, these guys in attendance while you're playing, what was that like? Uh, I mean, there was definitely pressure behind it, but it, it was something that I, I fully embraced. And I always thought I performed better under pressure personally. Uh, whenever I, I knew some, you know, someone was there to see me or whatever it might be, especially if it was a college um, or, you know, even a pro team that I was really interested in looking forward to, you know, trying to get recruited by I thought I had to take it up to another level. So I, I just got more focused in. Um, and I, I think the pressure really helped me personally. Um, it, it's not that I didn't feel it and it's not that I didn't know it was there, but it was something I always just tried to embrace because if you shy away from the situation, then I guess you kind of never really get to where you want to go, which uh, I wanted to play college bad. So I, I figured I, I'd either needed to embrace it and, and go head on or, you know, kind of, get off the pot so to speak and was this like your junior year of high school when when did you realize or when did you know that these guys were in attendance was it mostly senior year or what did that look like uh so I had a generally a later recruiting process but with that being said the team that I was on in high school had a lot of really good players so even you know my sophomore year there were scouts that were there maybe they weren't there for me but you know I would still see them in the sands and, you know, kind of know what team they were representing. Uh, but in general, I would say when I knew scouts started coming for me and, you know, I, I was one of the reasons they would come was probably junior year. Uh, in particular during the summer, what, what a lot of people don't realize is they think that scouts, uh, you know, just generally all go to high school games, but for Michigan high school, you know, baseball is in the spring most of these colleges are playing. They don't really have time to come see you. It was, it was mostly pro scouts that would come in the spring, but summer ball, travel ball, that was where they really, you know, 
would come in full force just because that was their off season when they had, you know, time to actually go recruit at these travel ball tournaments. And also the, the kids that are playing in those tournaments are typically some of the better kids that are playing in right. high school. Like it's, it's not worth, you know, Joe Schmo's time to go to the high school to only watch for one guy, whereas he could go, you know, kill two birds with one stone, if you will, and see everybody that's playing. Um, so you, obviously you're, you're, you're older than me. So mm-hmm. was days on you played with yep. him. Correct. So did he get uh, picked? He, played college ball didn't he or did he go straight? yeah yeah so he got drafted out of high school okay don't quote me but I think 20 something um 20th round uh, just about uh but decided to go to CMU instead or actually no he went to Wabash first which was a Juco and mm. then he went to CMU and now he's in the pros again so he's oh, he's kind of had a, a, an all-over journey but I mean just a stud <laughs> He was the reason that a lot of those pro scouts were at the game. I'll, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you that. So you obviously knew that he, he was probably the first one to go, if you will, right? Like he was still on the team, but he was the first guy where it was like, okay, this guy already has his next step lined up. High school baseball doesn't really mean anything at this point. How many offers did you end up having? Or was it just Michigan State? Um, I ended up with, with a decent amount. Uh. I, gosh, in totality, I, I would say D1 offers. I had, let's see, North Central, Western, Bowling Green, um, Michigan State, uh, Marshall. I was talking to Ohio State, Tennessee, and Michigan when I signed. I had a lot of D2 offers um, and, you know, D3 offers. I, I would say in total, probably around 20. Um, oh, Oakland, Oakland as well. Uh, yeah, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, the local schools, obviously it's easier to get their attention for them to come see you, things like that. And then the other part of it was just like, you know, some of these schools would reach out and I just wasn't really interested and it wasn't necessarily worth my time to like, I remember Alabama state was one of them. Like I, I didn't really want to go out to Alabama state. So, you know, thanks for your interest, but no thanks. Um, but I would say out of the schools that, you know, I was interested in and, and pursued seriously kind of on both sides, it was about 20 offers total um, from D1 all the way to, you know, D3 or a JUCO. That's a lot. I feel like, I mean, I don't necessarily know that much about numbers, but I feel like that's more than average in terms of how many offers, you know, your average high school player will receive from colleges. Yeah, I would think so. Part of it was that my, my recruiting process was dragged on and kind of later. So earlier in the recruiting process, I was talking to um, a lot of JUCOs, you know, some D3s. Uh, and, and for me personally, academics was really important. So I was looking all over, you know, just kind of more so from an academic sense. Um, and then my junior year actually, or no, sophomore year, summer going into junior year, I went to something called the Midwest futures games um sponsored by prep baseball report pbr i knew that i knew that so that that got me a ton of exposure um and from there you know a lot of the kids that were there kind of already had scouts following them you know were getting offers and close to committing that was kind of like the start for me and that's where a lot of scouts saw me for the first time so they wanted to come see me play you know that next summer and kind of follow up with me there so it it made my recruiting process a little bit longer um But at the same time, I got to see a lot of great schools and, you know, kind of test the waters more so than I think the average, average college recruit did, which I enjoyed. What was the, the biggest reason that you decided to play at Michigan State? Well, I, I gotta be honest, I grew up a Michigan State fan. So it was hard not to fall in love with the school. Um, I, at that point I had been on visits to a bunch of places and I remember, um, I I went on a visit to Michigan State, they take you on the football field beforehand first game I went to I think might have been Ohio State so it was Michigan State versus Ohio State football game I'm on the field before the game and I'm just like in awe looking up at the stadium the lights yeah. I'm a high school kid you know my eyes are just wide open I'm like <laughs> wow this is this is the real deal right here and everyone's, then, uh, everyone's looking at you from the stands like no way like Robbie Jones right. is here. that's crazy <laughs> right yeah you're wearing a, you're wearing a, like a, a necklace with like a big old badge and your name on it you, you just you feel like the coolest person ever and then uh I remember I was 
you know, walking up like at the end where they kind of say, okay, you know, get off the field, go into the stands type of thing. And I saw Izzo. He's like mm. right next to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. Like, can we take a <laughs> selfie real quick? So I, I take a selfie with Izzo like before before I head up to, you know, my seat and watch the game and stuff like that. And then at halftime, they just they take you into like this basically special room in the football stadium. And I was talking with the coaches. Um, they gave me an offer at that point And I, you know, I didn't accept it right away just because I kind of wanted to like step away from the emotions and make a sure. rational decision. But for me, it was a great uh, combination of athletics, academics, and then, you know, a, a good college experience socially. Um, so it, it really hit everything I was looking for. And, you know, I, I did, I did love it. So I, I think I made the right choice. You mentioned to me that you had several nicknames and I didn't know if it stemmed from high school ball or was it like your freshman year as a rookie if you will playing college ball how, how did those come about so it was the latter um it was my freshman year and I was I was kind of a goofball my freshman year <laughs> it was a huge adjustment period you know so I was like a little awkward and didn't really know how to like blend into the um locker room vibe I guess if you will of you know kind of the college scene so either way my locker buddy Dan Durkin was one of the funny guys of the team, you know, really respected older dude. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie School of Rock, but there's, uh, I believe it's the piano player's name's Freddie Jones. So I, I said something stupid in the locker room, like in front of everyone. Everyone was kind of looking at me. And Dan turns to me and goes, hey, Freddie Jones, shut up. <laughs> it's just one of the lines from the movie. And it just stuck forever mm, one of those yeah and so people started calling me freddie jones and from there it just kept evolving so i think like a year later there was a guy named kenneth bone that became a meme for like 15 minutes because he asked a question during like either like an rnc convention or a dnc some sort of political convention so then they started to call me freddie bones and then <laughs> my, my sophomore year i started like hitting a lot of uh homers and BP and I was not like a home run hitter mm-hmm. so they started calling me Freddie nukes wow and it, like so my I had any sort of combination of Robbie Bobby Freddie and bones and nukes or they just call me bones they call me nukes so like I could walk into the baseball house and hear 15 <laughs> different names within like a minute and I yeah. love it I think it's the best thing ever what was your favorite out of all of them bones yeah, I was gonna it's say just, it's just a classic to be. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I I'll just hear like bones, like and I'll and you just know. Random, like there's only like 20 people that will call me that, so like I I know instantly like okay, this there's got to be someone from the baseball team. That's hype. I like nukes, nukes. Yeah, I I liked them all. Like picking a favorite is like picking a favorite child to me. Like they right. they all make me happy looking back at it. All right, bones. Next question. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> For those that don't really know that much about baseball uh baseball in in michigan is primarily for for high school and colleges it it starts in the spring Mm -hmm. uh for michigan state i know they would start in mid to late february but they would go travel somewhere where it's warmer play a couple tournaments if you will but we have fall ball which is awesome i only played in a fall ball league once but i love it uh was there a league that michigan state or that colleges like how, how does baseball work in the fall that was something i never really understood because you're not playing games so you know for college baseball d1 in particular i i would say that there's four or five seasons and i'll kind of break that down for you there's what you would consider fall ball which is you get on campus um from a college level you have a three-hour practice every day plus a lift and I believe that there's 25 practices you're allotted in D1 for this because it's all based on time constraints. You know, every D1 school has to have the same amount of practices, same amount of hours, you know, all that stuff. So normally you want to get that out of the way quick before it gets cold. So first day of classes is generally the first day of practice too. And, and that's a grind. You know, what we would do there is 99% um, inner squads in terms of like the games, but it would be a, Typically, you know, a two-hour practice, an hour scrimmage, you go lift. Um, Once or twice during the fall, we'd go play another school. You know, I remember my freshman year, Air Force, we were playing them in football. 
So they flew in, obviously, um, flew to their own game, and we played them in baseball, too, while the football team was playing. Yeah, it was really cool. I, I was honored to be playing them. And, and they totally they flew to their game, which, you know, awesome. I, hmm. uh, unbelievable. So, so that was kind of fall ball is, you know, mostly practice and inner squads. And then you play one or two teams just kind of based off, you know, your schedule. And a lot of times the football schedule, too. Um, depending on who's flying in, if you're going anywhere, et cetera. From, from there, it just goes to kind of like winter workouts, which is more casual. Um, it's really only, I think, like 10 hours a week compared to the 40 plus that you would do with fall ball. Um, and, and then, like, like you said, we start in February. So basically, as soon as you get back from winter break, you're full gear back into like what I would call fall ball season, you know, three hour practices every day. They're indoors, obviously, because it's the middle of winter in Michigan and then a lift on top of that. And it's just all ramping up for, you know, I believe it's the 15th that the, the season starts every year. And we would fly out to somewhere warm and just go play. So that was kind of the four seasons you have fall ball, you know, winter workouts, um, like ramp up for the season, the season, and then, the fifth one I would say is a lot of college players go and play summer ball, which is you can be anywhere in the country. It's just a whole new season. Yeah, I know like uh, Vinsky would play for the the Madison Mallards, I think, in the summertime, which is the oh, – what's that league called? Northwoods. It, Northwoods. Northwoods is the biggest grind of a league in terms of college ball that there is. So <laughs> more props to him. He had like a 70- or 80-game season after yeah. his college season. It's insane. I was actually, I was looking into them. I didn't realize how many current major league players there are that played in the league. It was crazy. Like Scherzer, um, someone from the Tigers. Ah, I can't think of who it was, but I saw this list. Jordan Zimmerman. Jordan Zimmerman played in there. I would say Northwoods is probably second or third best league in the country. The Cape Cod League, um, by far, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, you could probably debate, but I would throw Northwoods in there. I would say is the the favorite for the second best, you know, summer ball league. I'm just curious. So what was the biggest challenge for you when you first came to college balancing like social life and schoolwork and baseball all in one? Yeah, just that. I mean, the fact that there was so much on your plate and it was such a transition, you know, I think in general, anytime you go from high school, you know, living in your parents' house, um, kind of being, you know, essentially looked after, you know, for most of your life is now you're on your own for the most part. Um, and then you throw on top of that, hey, you have three hours of practice a day. You have an hour lift. Um, your body is going to be going through these changes because I, I personally was not like a super heavy lifter or anything in high school. I didn't really know how to work out that well. And I have study hours on top of that. So my day would go from seven, you know, depends on, depends on the day. Cause we, I may work out before classes, but I would have an 8am for sure every day and go till almost 8pm at night grinding, you know, the whole day. And, and you kind of get back and you just feel like I never had any time to decompress. I never had any time to like really just take a deep breath and go like things are all right. You know, I was always super rushed and, there's just so much on your plate that it becomes really overwhelming. Um, after a while, you get used to it, but that transition and just learning kind of how to cope with your life going from zero to a hundred, you know, plus all these changes, it, it is a lot to handle. And that's why I think, you know, my freshman year in particular, like I was, I was a little disheveled kind of all the time. And, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was truly myself, I guess, if that makes sense for, at least, you know, a month or two, just until I kind of got used to it and was more in the flow of things. But when you first step on campus, um, I, I actually remember my, the first class I went to was after a practice and I was sweating. I'm going to this huge lecture hall. I walk down, I sit in a class and then like 10 minutes and I go, I'm in the wrong class right now. No. So I, I'm covered in sweat, like get up in front of everyone have to walk out and then walk to my other class. And I'm like, is this what college is going to be like? like oh my God. <laughs> yes. That, that was, that was bad in high school. 
like when you'd have gym first hour and then you'd have to go to like you know the rest of your classes for the rest of the day and you're just sweating and gross i can only imagine how much worse that is in college as an athlete yeah like i, I had a hitting i had a hitting thing with uh our coach sykes you know our hitting coach and then like i had to bike from wherever we were to my class which was in like 10 minutes so i'm already like flying on the bike you know don't know where it is because i don't know campus yet <laughs> i walk into the wrong class it was I was stressed to say the least. Yeah, that's a good point too. I didn't even think of that because you don't—you're freshman. You don't know where anything is. Nothing. I, I was like biking on this Walmart bike that I bought specifically just for my freshman year to get to and from places. Because Walmart has the best bikes. Walmart has the best bikes to get to and from places for sure. Facts, and it was only like—I think it was like seventy bucks. It was really cheap. But I'm like, I'm on this bike, like looking at Google Maps, trying to figure out where the where the hell to go. I think everyone on the face of the earth could tell as a freshman that day for sure. Yes. But that's the case with everybody. I mean, even still, then the I know I know you didn't give into this, but the biggest like the dead giveaway is when you have your your dorm key around your neck or if you have your dorm key on your wrist, that's that's how you know. I look, I get it. We were in that that same boat. It's tough uh making your way on on campus for the first time, but something I didn't get to experience experience that i always dreamed of was what would it be like stepping on the field for the first time as a college athlete so what to you what did that feel like was it everything you thought it would be or completely different overwhelming uh, to a certain extent uh it was one of those moments i my first start was my freshman year and we were down in texas uh i forget exactly who we were playing uh but either way i remember i was starting in right field and jogged my, you know, position, doing warm-up stuff like that, and just kind of in the middle of, you know, playing catch, warming up for the inning, you kind of realize, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is what I've been working for basically my whole life, you know, is to kind of, like, for me, the goal was always pro, but that college was a huge milestone as well. And, you know, a bulk of my work was to go to college and then, you know, work in college to go to pro type of thing. So you kind of, like, just – look around you take it in it it, it it just feels surreal um but then once you the game kind of starts you're just like sucked back in like it's you know game time again you're in your mode um and, it, and then you get back to like your natural state but i would say like that first like just little bit of it's overwhelming but in a good way i like i i really i can look back at that fondly and know you know wow this is this is what you were working for and the rewards felt great too. Like it, it was, it was nice. Robbie, you only started a, a handful of games in your two seasons uh, with Michigan State baseball. More to get into that later. But tell me, what was the mentality like if? you knew or if you didn't know like when you would come into the game because it's it's not easy knowing if you're going to have a chance to make an impact or if it's just you know another day on the bench yeah no it's it's weird it, it definitely it, it kind of messes with your head uh, to a certain extent you know part of it was you never knew like for me i, I was one of the faster kids so sometimes be like oh you're going to be a pinch runner um or you know hey, maybe we need you to come and pinch hit at the end or God forbid someone gets hurt, you know, maybe you're the next in line. So you'd be on the bench and obviously it's easier to just kind of zone out, you know, watch the game, be more casual with it and just enjoy. But a lot of times in particular, like towards the later innings, you know, sixth, seventh inning starts rolling around, you're cold at that point. So you got to make sure that you're jogging in between innings, stretching, um, going and playing catch, you know, if they have an area where you can kind of do that uh, while your team's in the field or something like that. So it, it was a, a almost more of a mental challenge, more so than anything to stay in the game and just make sure that you were on top of being prepared if you did have to go in. Um, but at the same time, like, like you said, you don't necessarily know, hey, am I just going to ride the bench here for nine innings or am I going to have to go in seventh inning and you know now it's a pressure situation 
you go from zero to a hundred really quick. So it's instead of like letting your mind go to zero, you kind of had to stay almost neutral, like more at a 50 where you're ready to jump in if need be, but you don't want to be so turned on all the time that it's just like, you know, going to kind of almost take away from your mental state in a weird way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I feel like it was definitely a, a difficult transition because I'm sure in high school you were what batting in the top five of the lineup playing every single day Mm -hmm. putting up obviously good enough numbers where you could play college ball so when you sat down with Michigan State and you had they were talking to you about potentially coming to play for them what went into that discussion like was there any sort of word of well hey you know you may not be a starter when you come here you're probably not going to be a starter you know, what did they go over your specific role with you? Did that change over the course of your career? Tell me what that looked like. So, I mean, I would say in the recruiting process, it's not something they necessarily brought up. You know, they would just say, hey, we really like your potential. You know, we, we think you're fast. We you got a great bat speed, you know, all, all these different things. Uh, and obviously they're trying to kind of wine and dine you and schmooze you a little. So they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, we think you'll be a stud here, all, all this type of stuff. Uh, freshman year, to be to be fair, I didn't really expect to start or to play or anything like that. I was a pretty raw player, and, and I was aware of that. Um, and it was a big jump, you know, you, from going facing mostly kids that are probably throwing low 80s, you know, high 70s. Maybe right. once in a while, a, a kid touches 90 against you. It's like, that kid's unbelievable. He's the best player ever. Yeah. But players consistently throwing 90. And, and not only are they throwing 90, they're hitting their spots, too, and they got control of their off speed. So, it was, it was a big transition. I didn't necessarily expect to start my freshman year. Um, and I think that was made relatively clear by the coaches. Uh, you know, kind of we have like a fall meeting at the end of fall ball um, where they go over stuff like that. But as it progressed, you know, my sophomore and junior, those conversations were actually geared um, more so towards, hey, we think you should be starting or getting playing time and things like that. But I know you probably have a question on on that that I'll dive into later. So I'll save that story for a second. You look at any college athlete, right? Or or anyone on on any team in any sport, especially in college when it's four years. And eventually it's not like those guys are going to play forever. Cassius Winston was not on Michigan State's basketball team for his entire career, right? As much as everyone would love for that to happen. So at some point you would assume like, well, hey, I may be able to, this guy's leaving next year, I could take over his role. So you know as a freshman that you're, unless you are Jesus at the game of baseball. Just stunt. Yeah, you aren't, you're going to be sitting on the bench for a little while. So you made a huge decision, probably one of the biggest decisions, even for you at this point in life, two years removed from college, you decided to quit the baseball team. So tell me what went into that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a tough decision. Um, one that I had to think about for a long time. Cause like I said, it was always my dream to play in college, always my dream to play pro. So it's something I've been working for, you know, my whole life, uh, and just kind of some of the factors that went into it. So like you said, my freshman year, I didn't really expect to start. And sophomore year, that, that conversation changed a little bit. I, I performed decently well and, you know, was told, hey, you're going to get a couple shots. You're going to get your chances, like, you know, be ready type of thing. Um, and I thought I deserved them, uh, to be quite honest. So we do something at Michigan State. Well, the coach has said <clears throat> that. In fall ball, you know, that, that part I mentioned earlier where you do the 25 practices, you inter-squad every day, they'll keep stats of every single game, let you know, you know, how'd you bat this year? Or if you're a pitcher, how'd you pitch? And they keep all all the stats. So they always said, if you perform well in fall ball, you'll get your shot in the spring. And that was a consistent message since I was a, you know, a freshman. Sophomore year, I did pretty well in fall ball, was definitely one of the better outfielders. I thought I deserved my shot. Um didn't really get it sophomore season, got a couple, you know, starts a couple opportunities, but they're always very sporadic. And I felt like everyone else was kind of getting a shot before me. Um, But either way, so I was like, okay, you know, this isn't, this isn't the worst thing ever, but I am expecting a little more play time than I'm getting. And it definitely messes with you. But that, that junior year fall, I, I'm going to be honest. I, balled out in the fall. I, I had a great fall. I led the team in, 
what they tracked was quality at bad percentages. They said that's the most important stat this fall. You know, there's a bunch of different metrics for it, like how many seven plus, you know, pitch ABs did you get? If there's a runner on second, no outs, did you move them to third? Mm-hmm. You know, did you get a hit? Did you get a walk? Um, like just a bunch of different metrics. And they said, you know, this is how we're going to measure what we think is a good at bat. And they literally would post a sheet in the dugout every, like every week they'd updated about of who's leading in terms of quality at bat percentage. So that fall I did really well, led the team in quality at bat percentage, led the team in batting average, led the team in triples, was second in doubles, was like third in stolen bases. And I could play any position in the outfield. So I'm like, okay, sweet. Like my time to shine. I'm going to, you know, start this year, yada, yada. Uh, junior year, you know, spring rolls around where I actually started the first game, got the first hit of the MSU season. I went one for three against Fresno State with a walk. We only had three hits that game. So I'm like, okay, sweet. Like, you know, I'll get my start the next game. Didn't get the start the next game. Then I think the next week we played Pepperdine and I was actually, I started one of the games, but I was throwing up and I was sick the night before and I went over oh. four. Oh. And I like, I, I just, I had a terrible game, but it's baseball. You're going to have bad games. You're gonna have good games. Um, once that happened, I just never really saw the field again. Uh, you know, I, I was told you're going to get these opportunities. You're going to get chances. And we, we had a bad season, or we were starting off, having a bad season my junior year and I think we're gosh like four and 14 or something terrible like that I looked and our center fielder was hitting 100 our left fielder was hitting 140 and I had hit over 400 in the fall and then I looked at the the next year's recruiting class and they had like three or four outfielders coming in and I had already talked to my coach at this point multiple times about like, hey, like, what do I have to do to get more playing time? You know, dude, <laughs> I don't know what else I can do at this point because I, I thought, you know, I, I'd made it pretty clear that I deserved a shot. And from there, it just kind of took like a mental toll on me, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the bench like, you know, we kind of talked about earlier. And there was times like my freshman, sophomore year, I'm kind of fine with it just because I'm like, I don't really deserve to be playing that much, you know. But then junior year comes around, I'm just looking at our team struggling, and I'm like, man, I, I know that I can come in and be a factor in this game, and I just won't even get a shot. So I remember the, uh, the straw that kind of broke the camel's back was, well, okay, one, I, I just wasn't happy, and I kind of realized that. It, you know, It takes a while for you to admit to yourself, like, man, I'm not happy doing this because it's something that had brought me joy for so many years of my life, you know, and I was so always happy to be on a, a diamond, just no matter what, whether I was playing or not. And then every practice, I'm just, I'm sad, you know, I'm not into it. It's, it had nothing to do with my teammates or anything like that. It's just like, why am I even doing this? There's no chance that I play, no matter how well I perform. Um, but I, I remember the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. We're playing Niagara. And it's Michigan State versus Niagara. You expect that we're, we should be beating the brakes off them. But we were, I believe at that point, one and two in the series. We're playing a four-game series, which is weird because you normally only play three. And it's the last game. It's our Sunday game against them. We had, we're going into the ninth. And our coach at this point already used like two or three um, pinch hitters. And then I'm like, all right, so I'm not even one of those guys. And then. He, there was a runner on first, and I would have been the tying run. Um, and he goes, hey, you know, Robbie, get ready. You're going to be the next pinch hitter. Like, go on back, you know, get, basically just get ready to hit. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, cool. Like, here's my shot. You know, finally it comes. And I'm ready. I'm psyched up, all this stuff. And then legitimately, right before I'm walking to the plate, he goes, hey, hey, Robbie, no, come back here. Puts in a freshman to hit for me. After, and I'm like, so one is a coach. That's not a smart move because I have been warming up, taking my swings, you know, like in the batter's box, like mentally preparing. And now, even if this guy's the same skill level as me or even better, you're just going to throw him in there, like without any practice swings. He's been on the bench, you know, sitting there for a while. Like he's cold. He's not mm-hmm. mentally prepared to hit. 
So I just, I remember walking back to the dugout and I mean, I was almost crying. I was just so defeated at that point. Like, all right, well, I'll just never get my shot here. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I went home, you know, kind of had already talked to my parents about it to a certain extent, but called my mom like, Hey, that, that just did it for me. You know, that was basically, I now know that I will never get a shot here and that I just won't be given, I guess, my fair chance is kind of how I looked at it. You know, I, I think the coach was pretty incompetent. Um, and, and I think anyone around Michigan State baseball would tell you that for a lot of different reasons that I won't dive into here. But he was very, very stubborn was more so kind of like the key factor behind it. So I'm like, I just know he's not going to change his mind. And do I want to come to practice every day, be sad, you know, do all this stuff? I'm like, now nah, I'm at Michigan State. I have a great group of friends here outside of baseball. It had nothing to do with my teammates because I love them. Um, so I said, you know, I, I know that I can enjoy the rest of my junior year at this point and then go have a great senior year, you know, as well. So it was just a better move for me. Um, I still love baseball and I don't have regrets about the school I chose or anything like that. But that was kind of the, the fact, you know, the factors that went into it. And it, it wasn't just a, a one-time thing. It, it was kind of building for a while. And eventually I just had to pull the trigger and, you know, make a tough decision. But I think it was definitely the right one. That's like a real, real story. Like I can, I can sense like the emotion, like it, obviously it still affects you today. Like that's, that's a incredibly tough decision that you had to make. But I look, I can totally see where you're coming from because the in any sport, often the, your first task, the biggest challenge is overcoming yourself, right? Golf, that's golf is oh god, it shines. I in golf, just started right? golf. Oh, that is a tough one. Yeah, if you can't beat yourself, if you can't get past yourself, you're tough. But when you are struggling in like that mental situation where you're not getting any playing time where you were promised you were going to get playing time you see all these other guys getting an opportunity before you and you're the one who's got the seniority right I don't know how big of a an effect that has in terms of college like baseball specifically it wasn't even that it was just more so the fact that I deserve to be playing I, I didn't care if a freshman if a freshman was better than me then a freshman was better than me but in my head I knew hey you are one of the top players on this team right now mm-hmm. in terms of hitting. I was, I was doing really great that fall before. And, you know, I, I just deserved, I just deserved a chance. And it, it's hard for me to, you know, justify kind of staying in that situation where it just, it just felt wrong. It didn't feel like a fit and I, I just wasn't having fun anymore. So the seniority didn't matter that much. Like, right, and right. The, the guy who hit for me, he's a great player. He's a, he's a stud, you know, nothing, nothing against him whatsoever. It was just Mm -hmm. the fact that, all right, well, I've deserved my chances up to this point. Now I just know I'll never get them no matter what. There's nothing I can do to, to put myself in the game, you know, in front of this coach's eyes. He just, he won't give me my fair shake for whatever reason. I was, I was going to say like, you pretty much proved your yourself. You proved your point of, Hey, like I should be the guy. We're a team that's struggling right now. Uh, what do we have to lose? You have proven that you're this guy. There is no free agency or trade market in college baseball. You're not just going to have Michigan state call in some guys from California or whatever and make a big difference. Right. So you were that guy. So did you ever, do you feel like now, I guess, thinking back on it, like, well, Hey, maybe in that game against Niagara, like if you did get that at bat and you clutched the hell out of it, right? Maybe you hit a go-ahead two-run homer. At at that point, would you even want, like, would you consider still playing? You know, I, I think if, if I ended up getting my shot and let's, theoretically, I hit that, you know, home run and I'm starting all the next games and stuff like that, I probably would have stayed on the team, um, just to be quite honest. But just, that was, you know, at that point, you know, the, the 20th or 21st time where it's like, Oh, I'm going to get my shot. No, I'm not. And then it kind of like brings you back down to earth where it's like, you got your hopes up again and you're just kind of, you're teasing yourself here because in reality, it's not going to happen. And, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm not a religious person necessarily, but I I almost think the kind of God has a path for you. Um, At that point I was pre-dental 
for, you know, my whole college career. And every summer I didn't have a chance to go shadow an orthodontist because I'm playing baseball. That summer I went and shadowed an orthodontist go, hey, I don't like this. You know, this isn't actually the path for me. And I, I switched from what was business management and pre-dental to marketing. And now I'm in sales. So like it affected me in a lot of ways where, hey, I could be, you know, couple of years in a dental school right now, not even knowing I don't like the job and thousands and thousands of dollars in debt compared to, you know, maybe it was just God saying, this isn't your calling. This isn't what you're meant to do in life. I'm going to nudge you in this direction. Um, and that's just kind of what I like to look at any challenge in my life as, or any, you know, anything that happens to me that's necessarily outside of my control. I just want to hit it head on and go, okay, well, you can't control this. But what you can do is make the best of the situation and embrace this, you know, 100% go like head through a brick wall type of thing. You're just going to smash through this challenge. So that's kind of the attitude I took towards it. Um, you know, I, I tried not to look back. It's obviously very hard not to when past 20 something years of your life at that point are all baseball. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, I, I just really tried to embrace that change and, and make sure I can make the best out of what to me at the time was a bad situation, but I, I think inevitably it was for the best. Yeah. Like you say, there was, there was good things that, that came of that. Obviously it was a really hard decision, but like you said, you were granted a new life almost, right? More time to make decisions and realize what was and what wasn't right for you. And a lot of guys too are they're All they do is they bank on the fact that maybe they're going to make it to the major leagues. And arguably minor league baseball is baseball in general is the hardest sport to make it professionally. There are so many guys out there, so many teams, so many small teams, so, so many, everything where there's guys that are just like you trying to do the same thing. And at the end of the day, you've got to be the best of the best of the best. And a lot of those guys don't have plan B's, right? They don't have a backup plan. They don't necessarily have any real interest in anything else other than baseball. So then when they get to a point in life where they're like, Hey, you know, this isn't working out anymore. They're kind of screwed. So in the end, yeah, it was a hard decision for you to make, but there was still a lot of good that came out of it. Yeah. And it's all perspective, you know, and I, I agree with your point that I think uh, it's kind of there. You can look at sports in a lot of different ways, but baseball, I feel like it's, easiest to make the jump from college to pros just because there's a lot of rounds of drafts and there's so many minor league teams, but working your way through the actual minor league ranks and making it to the MLB is so hard, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, if you get drafted in the NBA or the NFL, it's like, congratulations, you made it 90% of the time you're going to make the roster and, and be on the team if, if you were drafted. But with that said, that's more selective out of college. You know, there's only so little people that are going compared to baseball. It's like, okay, you, you got drafted. Congratulations. Now go work for the next seven years and prove yourself again. So you can just make it to the MLB. Right. And, uh, and when guys are going to these minor league teams, you're going to be a rookie, right? Or you're going to be, this is your first time is your first year. And you could have guys on that team that have been grinding for four five, six years even. And, it's you really have to be genuinely dedicated oh, oh yeah i can't even imagine i seriously i can't but guys do it people do it i mean it's it's a love of the sport type of thing and it's i tell you what the minor leagues it's not for the money because those those guys aren't really getting paid well enough to to make a good living until you probably make about double a triple a ish but before then you got to grind through rookie ball low a mid a high a it's double A, you're making a living wage, triple A, maybe you're living comfortably, but it's just, you know, it, it's really about the love of the sport and it's a grind. And I got nothing but respect for those, those people in the minors that are grinding through because that's something I wanted to do for a long time. And, and I know how grueling it could be, but it's, it's all because you just love the game and you're working towards your dream, which I got nothing but respect for. Robbie, I got a couple more questions for you. These next two ones are going to be fun. And then we're going to play a little game that we got planned for you guys. So first question, Robbie, is who do you think is the most intimidating player in all of Major League Baseball? 
good one. I might have to say Trevor Bauer just because he's got a little bit of psycho in him. Mm. And I, you know, when someone's unstable and they're like a, a little crazy, I think that to me, that's scary <laughs> because he might, you know, chuck a ball hundred miles an hour of your head, then, then sprint to you again, to fight with you. You just never know with him. And obviously he's a fantastic player as well. So he would have me uneasy in the box. I feel that I, I'm actually, so I, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think of who I would I'd say, um, because in high school I was a pitcher. So I'm thinking of the opposite. I'm thinking of who is to me is the most intimidating to face in the batter's box. Uh, you could really go with a lot of people here, but I'm going to say either Javi Baez or Fernando Tatis. Or Juan Soto. Between, has swag. Between the three of those guys, they all have their unique persona and personality about them, especially Juan Soto, where he does like that weird like crotch grab thing. But like like he'll be he'll be ahead in the count two oh and he's looking at it doesn't matter who it is. I think of uh J V in the World Series last year. He was like down two or he was up two and oh on J V and he's like doing this the weird thing to JV, like, I, you know, th- throw it every one. I don't give a shit. I'm going to hit the crap out of it, which he did. My next question for you is what major league player do you think would make the best teammate? Am I allowed, am I allowed to go with kind of an older throwback here? My sure. favorite tiger growing up, Curtis Granderson. Mm. Gosh, he, he just seems like one of the most genuine and good people that, you know, I could imagine. So I would love to be on a team with him. He just seems like a really, really good dude. Um, and in that same breath, I'm going to throw my favorite player out there, Mike Trout, another mm-hmm. person that just, one, I love them both because they're outfielders, and that's what I looked up to. But yeah. they just seem like great people. And, you know, that's to me, that's that's what really matters, um, not only in life, but as, you know, in respects to being a good teammate, is I just want someone who's going to be a good person, because baseball is such a mental game. You need someone to pick you up that, you know, pick you up when you're down and, and kind of, you know, keep you level headed, but also just be someone that you can have a bond with and, you know, form a relationship with. And those two to me just seem like really great people that I would love to get to know. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that question back to you. What about, what about you? Sure. Um, thinking about that now, cause I, I didn't have an answer prepared, but Tori Hunter. And I say that because He's a guy that will potentially Hall of Famer, um, but he's just so respected in the game. And I just thought, wow, to have someone like that on our team was so cool. And to see that was awesome. Uh, another quick funny story. Um, Phil Coke, back when he used to play, for, back you weren't expecting this, back when he used to play for the I Tigers. I was not. <laughs> in the summertime, like in the, the middle of summer, the real bad heat, he would grab the hose from the bullpen because we used to sit out by the bullpen and he would spray everyone. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah. All the time. Then he would like chug his water bottle and sprint to the diamond. When <laughs> I remember got. that. Yeah. But Robbie, before you go, uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun here. We each have our own list of five of the, Funniest, best, maybe most iconic, great names of players in baseball. I have my list of five. Robbie doesn't know anyone on that list. He has his list of five. I don't know anyone on his list. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to alternate? Or do you want just one of us to just go down their list? I, I like to alternate. Let's uh, let's let's go one at a time here. Okay. All right. I'll lead things off. Uh. So I guess this is in a an order of sorts, but my number five is, of course, Maglio Ordonez. How can you not? How can you not have him on this list? Great hair, great player for the Tigers, so clutch. And I don't know, there's always something about him where like you could you could see his silhouette like in a in a picture or something, and you would know exactly who he was. Right, like one of those Pokemon where it's like, who's that Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. outline. That's the best comparison. Thank you for that. That is the best comparison. Okay, so I'm, 
I'm going to be honest. I went for funny names and these aren't even people that I like had heard of. I had to look this up and I okay. just, I got some great names. Um, the first one is going to be Johnny Dickshot, which <laughs> <laughs> I just think is hilarious. And apparently his nickname was ugly. So he like people would call him ugly Dickshot. No way. He was, he was no bones though. He was no bones and he was no nukes. You didn't have bones. I, I didn't <laughs> want to throw myself on the list. Be too conceited here. Wow. <laughs> I have I have one of one of my names on there or on my list is from that list. So <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit. I picked almost exclusively from that list, so that we might have a crossover there. <laughs> okay. Uh, my number four guy is Yoannis Cespedes. I. I remember when he was coming into the league, he had these crazy videos on YouTube of him doing like insane leg workouts. He lifts so much. Yeah. Oh my God. I know what videos you're talking about. They're insane. Yes. Beast. He also just really doesn't give a shit. Like he, well, he also, he missed, he what was it like last season before 2020, like the pandemic season, he like missed the majority of the season because he fell off his horse. And like tore his ACL or something. Uh, and then he opted out of the 2020 season. Like, I think he played in one or two games, randomly opted out. And the day he opted out, people saw him at the mall and like took a picture with him. <laughs> like, that's so ballsy. Yeah, he, he doesn't care. And, and that injury to me is similar to the Joel Zamaya playing guitar hero. Mm. <laughs> he messes himself up. Like, it was just like one of those things where it's like, I guess that that sh- maybe should be in the contract for next year. Don't play Guitar Hero and don't go ride your horse. <laughs> you <Yeah. don't> <laughs> Especially, yeah, Guitar Hero. Yeah. Oh gosh. All right. I, I guess I'll I'll get going with my uh, my number four. So so my number four. Like I said, I'm going funny here. You got you got some studs. I got some not known people. So we're, sure. we're giving a little variety here. It's Rusty Kuntz. Oh, um, but the <laughs> way the... it's spelled is K U N T Z. So I'll let the the viewers, you know, imagine what that looks like and would normally sound like. But he... I mean, Rusty, just classic name. I I actually I'm I'm working with a guy named Rusty, and I just think it's the coolest name ever. No and then way. Kuntz and, and spelled like a maybe a not so nice word. <laughs> I would love to see that on the back of a jersey. He's the um. I can't remember if it's the first or third. I think he's the first base coach for the Royals. Is he? Yes. And that's how I know that name. Because I remember the first time I saw that jersey or, or him standing there. My number three, another classic guy, uh, Placido Polanco. Just like a name that rolls off the tongue. That's um, a great one. And it's cra- crazy thing, too. The two of my guys on this list both played for the same team at the same time. Same point in their careers. But yeah, Placido Polanco. You've never seen a name like it. And I don't know. There's something about it. The double P. I just love it. That rolls off the tongue so smooth. Worth double points in Scattergories. I don't know if you've ever played Scattergories. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. (laughs) That's a good one. All right. My my number three is Cannonball Titcomb. (laughs) And I don't think I need to say anything else about that. That's just... What, how does, you know, how do you carry a child around for nine months and you just, you, you release this beautiful baby boy into the world and you go, all right, I'm going to name you Cannonball. And then that, that person ends up making it to the MLB. To me, I it just crazy name. I, if I ever met someone in Cannonball in real life, I'd freak out because I'd think I'm in the matrix. Not the much last of a nickname. crazy too. Like, last... you know, Cannonball isn't enough. You've got Titcomb. <laughs> first, first and last name go super hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Um, uh, My number two is someone that has, over the years he has retired, but back when he played, used to demolish the Tigers pitching, especially JV in particular, and I hated him. And that would be Coco Crisp. I almost threw Coco him. on that list too. Coco's a good one. He's so annoying. He was so fast. He never like hit for power, but I swear he would like when he'd play the Tigers. And oh, I think he only played for the A's, maybe the Indians, but he was just such a mm, 
such an annoying guy to face. He would always get on base. Actually, that's kind of that was kind of my style too. Is I would try and foul off as many pitches as possible, hit singles, you know, drive gaps when I could. But mm. just in general, I did not want to be an easy out ever. Even if I hit a grounder to the second baseman, I would sprint as hard as I can and just hope that he botched it. You know, because yeah. I never ever wanted to be the person where it's like, all right, well, three up, you know, three strikes, they're out, you know, throw them back in the bench. I always wanted to be a pest. So I, I feel that. That was Bones with the great mentality right there. Yeah. It's it, it's uh it was everybody's got their own style, you know, baseball is definitely a game where you can kind of come at it from a lot of different angles. That was just how I like to play and and the mindset I wanted to take. Um, okay. So my, my number two, Boof Bonser, B-O-O-F-B-O-N-S-E-R, Boof Bonser. I just feel like that would be so fun to say, like, if that was my teammate, I would, I would never stop calling that guy's name. Just Boof. 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 (laughs) That's a good one. These, a lot of these guys that you're pulling, their names their, their names are nicknames. These guys have never had nicknames in their life. Or, well, they're so oh, dead. how could you? <laughs> What's the nickname for Boof? That is that is the name. B. That's, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Some. Boof. Just drop the oh. B. Boof. Well, my, my last guy, my number one, comes from that list. And out of all those names, I just felt like this guy... Ah, I pictured him as my teammate saying his name, and I just... I, imagine, I hope like, I hope my number one, one and your number one aren't the same, but it'd be really funny if they are. Oh, my number one is none other than Buttercup Dickerson. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in 1858. He died in 1920. He had a career uh, batting average of 284, and played for the. Let's see. This is the the Worcester Ruby Legs. In 1881. So. Wow, pretty cool team name and uh, even even better name. I love that Buttercup. Yeah, Dickerson. I was gonna say, I, I if I could find that that jersey, I'll give that to you as a holiday gift because uh, that's that's a rarity right there. A Buttercup Dickerson. On uh, what were they called? The Ruby something was the team the, name. It is the do, 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 the Worcester Ruby Legs. The Worcester Ruby Legs. I feel like those jerseys would look really sweet. Like nowadays, you can make those look really cool. I was gonna say I love I love a lot of the minor league teams because they get more you know freedom with kind of the creativity behind their logos, mascots, jersey design, all that. There's some really cool ones out there. So I, I'm sure if that was around today, they'd have awesome jerseys. Yes. All right, I'm ready to hear your number one. My my number one, Chief Bender. <laughs> You, I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, I, I saw it and I'm just like, wow, Chief Bender, like killing it. Yeah. That that's just that's just an ideal name. He's the he's a chief, so he he's a boss basically. He's, he's a cool dude. He's coming off a of bender and he's gonna come, you know, hit 500 and just like <laughs> he'll Babe Ruth it, you know, be super drunk and, and come to the game and still hit a couple homers. Like Chief Bender, it it just, it just had to be my number one. He's like uh, that reminds me of who was the guy from the bench warmers who like he shows his I uh, am twelve. Yeah. <laughs> that guy, yeah. yeah. For anyone who's who's made it this far in the podcast, uh, I love to hear that. And if you uh, wanna debate who has the, the better the better name between me and Robbie, whether it's Buttercup Dickerson or Chief Bender, please feel free to reach out. Uh, um let me know what you think. And Robbie, this was a blast. Thank you for coming on Motor City Hardball. I hope you had a great time. And uh, I-, I miss you. I know you're down in Florida doing good things, big things, living in that the, the Florida sun. Uh, any any final thoughts? Any, any other things you'd like to add before we call it a night? Not really. Uh, Brandon, thanks for having me on. This is a ton of fun. Uh, miss you too brother i know we'll definitely have to catch up you know whenever i'm back in michigan or whenever we're geographically close to each other again but yeah i mean this is a ton of fun man thanks for having me on i uh, really appreciate it